All right, everybody, welcome back to the Bible Study Podcast. I am Travis Pauley, and here we have one goal, learn to love like Jesus. And I'm here, as always, with Wes McAdams. Hi, Wes. Hey, Travis. How are you, brother? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. I'm doing great. We have a, we have a bit of a long question today, but yeah. it's a good one. It is a great question. This goes like this. Hey, brother, a while ago, I listened to your podcast from October 14th, 2019, on what the word gospel means in the Bible. I wanted you to know that I thoroughly enjoyed that podcast and am planning to work through Scott McKnight's book that was mentioned. Over the past year or two, I've thought a lot about the role of the evangelist and what exactly Paul means to do the work of the evangelist in 2 Timothy 4, verse 5. It's interesting that the word form used there is only three times in, is only used three times in the New Testament, yet we build a lot of our congregational ministry in the churches of Christ around that role slash office. I'm curious to know if you have an episode on the role of the evangelist specifically, or if you'd be interested in publishing one. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I think that if one reclaims a biblical view of gospel, as you unpacked in your podcast, then the concept definition of the role of the evangelist would necessarily be impacted as well. What is the role of the evangelist? How does preaching the gospel impact that role? If the gospel is more holistic than evangelizing the lost, how does that impact the role of the evangelist? What is the dynamic authority between the evangelist and the shepherd? Does one have authority over the other? Do they share authority? Does an evangelist travel or is he located? Appreciate you and your podcast. Thanks, Jeff. Excellent question. Excellent question. And and Jeff's right. And I, in fact, in fact I, I went through and did a little bit of searching on online for different resources concerning this. And there was a, there was a great study that was done. I think it was Mark Roberts. Um, I'll link to it in the show notes, uh, along with Scott McKnight's book, uh, which is the King Jesus gospel that Jeff referenced mm-hmm. in his email. And then also I will link to the previous episode that he referenced as well. Yeah. Uh, but one of those resources uh, is on, again, I think it's from Mark Roberts. And and Mark went through and kind of unpacked this word evangelist and and did a historical study of how the word has been used over time and how even there was a time when it sort of fell out of use amongst Christians hmm. and people didn't really talk about evangelist or didn't think of that being a present role in the church. In fact, there was a while apparently during the Reformation movement, according to this research, um, where they believed that the evangelist was part of the first century church, but not an ongoing role or not an ongoing office in the church presently. So they would look at that more like the the prophets or the apostles. Right. We we talked about that in a, in a podcast not too long ago, where we talked about the the ceasing of miraculous gifts, and they would tie the role of evangelist to that first century church model. Hmm. Um, But over time, uh, there has been a revival of the use of evangelist. In Churches of Christ, we tend to use the word evangelist in two ways. Um, Sometimes we use it as a synonym for preacher, Mm -hmm. and we say that, that the preacher is the evangelist, or the minister is the evangelist, or a minister, the pulpit minister, the preaching minister is an evangelist. Uh, But we also tend to talk about evangelist or evangelism just in terms of 
personal work or personal Bible studies or right. studying with the lost. That's how I grew up hearing that word evangelist and thinking of it as someone who um, maybe went door to door, set out Bible studies, door knocked, uh, and and studied with lost people in order to teach them how to be saved. Mm-hmm. And Jeff is exactly right that as our definition of gospel becomes more robust, more holistic, as he said in his email, as our definition of gospel becomes more biblical and grounded in Scripture, then the word evangelist also has to become more robust and and um, holistic. Mm-hmm. Now, some people may not realize why those two things go hand in hand. Why is gospel and evangelist tied together? Because in English, they're not related, right? Gospel doesn't right. sound like or have any relation to the word evangelist in English, or at least that we can tell on the surface. But in Greek, they're the same word, just different forms. Uh, the word gospel is euangelion, and then the word evangelist is euangelistes. So mm-hmm. euangelion, gospel, and euangelistes, evangelist. <laughs> so the word evangelist in English, you can see how it is a transliteration of the Greek word euangelistes. Right. And so they just took the Greek word euangelistes and made a an English transliteration of that evangelist. Hmm. So euangelistes, evangelist. But with gospel, we took euangelion, good news, and we created a word gospel in its place. Hmm. So gospel... We have to talk, if we're going to say, what is an evangelist? What is a euangelistes? Then we have to say, what is, what's an evangelist? We have to say, well, what's the gospel? (laughs) Because the gospel and evangelists are tied together. So what is the euangelion? What is the gospel? Again, we'll link to the the podcast that you and I did two years ago, back in October of 2019. But we were just talking before we started recording that I don't really remember that that episode. Yeah, I know, so it's crazy. I'll, I'll have to go back and listen to it as well. Uh, but just to kind of give a recap for everyone, I think I think that we did that episode shortly after I did a series of blog posts by the title, What is the Gospel? Mm. Um, and I had read Scott McKnight's book, The King Jesus Gospel, which helped me to realize that we really reduced the gospel to a point that it doesn't really reflect what the New Testament means when it uses the word euangelion, good news. Right. When we talk about the gospel, often we reduce it to just the quote-unquote death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, 1 Corinthians 15. But McKnight unpacks that 1 Corinthians 15 as a whole gives so much more depth and breadth to the idea of the gospel than just Jesus died, was buried, and and rose. Um, And there's about seven essential things in 1 Corinthians 15 that are essential to understanding the gospel. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That's one. Mm -hmm. He was buried. Three, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Four, in Adam we all die, but in Christ we will all be made alive. That Jesus is the first fruits of the coming resurrection, and at his coming those who belong to him will be raised. Number five, at his coming he will deliver the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. Let me just stop right there for a second. That good news in the Greek, in the Roman world, in the first century world, would have been intimately connected to the idea of kingdom and kingship and rule and triumph, that if a great victory had been won, somebody might run into the city and 
proclaim euangelion, good news, we've won, we're victorious. Or if there was a new emperor or a new king, they would run and proclaim the good news, the euangelion, that this new king had ascended to the throne. So if we just make the the gospel, the euangelion of Christ, just about his death, burial, and resurrection, and we say nothing about his kingdom and the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, then we're really missing out on most of what the New Testament says about the gospel. In fact, when Jesus uses the word gospel, he's always or almost always attaching it with the kingdom. So throughout the gospel accounts, Jesus goes about proclaiming the good news about the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom of heaven, and all of Jesus' parables. In fact, we did a whole series on the gospel parables, the kingdom parables of Jesus. He would proclaim the good news, the euangelion about the kingdom by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of God is like. And so Paul says, this is part of the core teaching about the gospel, that at the coming of Jesus, Jesus will deliver the kingdom to his Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. Mm -hmm. And then it says, number six, he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be destroyed is death, that God will be victorious over everything through Jesus. This is core teaching of the gospel. It's not just about God managing my sins, God taking away my personal sins. That's not the core of the gospel. That's part of it. And we need to talk about our own personal forgiveness. But big picture gospel, it's that God is reigning, and in God's reign, through his anointed King Jesus, that all enemies will be destroyed, including sin and death itself. And then finally, number seven, when all things are subjected to the Father, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him, that God may be all in all. Mm. Like, that's the conclusion of the euangelion, that God is all in all. Some translations put it that God reigns supreme over all. That's the good news. The good Mm -hmm. news is what Jesus has done, what Jesus is presently doing as our high priest, and what Jesus will do in his second coming. And so all of this is wrapped up in that simple little word, gospel. But we've so reduced gospel to just make it about my own personal sin and how do I go to heaven when I die? And it's Mm -hmm. like, that's, that's so, so reductionistic. That's so little that it really doesn't reflect the the breadth and the the depth of this idea in the New Testament. So if I had to sum it up, I would sum up gospel with a sentence like this, and I know it's a sentence that's kind of run on, but but bear with me. The gospel is the good news that Jesus, the long-awaited priestly king of Israel, has made atonement for sins and has been victorious over death, he will eventually destroy sin and death and will bring all things under God's rule. If I had to sum up the gospel in my own words, that's how I would sum it up. Jesus has dealt with death. He has been victorious, or rather dealt with sin through his atoning sacrifice, that he has been victorious over death, and he will eventually destroy sin and death and bring all things under God's rule. Hmm. So, However we sum up euangelion, however we sum up gospel, it it has to include these elements about yeah. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, yes, but also about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. So let's kind of pause right there and just any thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, one of the, you already mentioned, you know, 
the way that we, we the tendency that we have to sort of want to uh, ch- to cheapen the mm, gospel. Cheapen, that's a good word. And turn it into something that's very consumeristic. I yes, mean, yes, you know, yes. like you said, it's I I if I just do all the right things, if I sign up with Jesus, then mm. I'll go to heaven when I die. Mm. I was having a, I've been just itching all week because it was this week, but I've been itching to use this quote. Uh, I was talking to our high school minister here at uh, McDermott Road, Marcus Stinson, and he, after our conversation, he texted me this quote um, that I've again I've just been dying to use, and we were talking about the difference between, you know, religion, mm-hmm. the 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 being religious and and. Um, like that, that being the basis of your faith, mm-hmm. you know, the, the following the rules mm-hmm. and, and, and signing up with Jesus, whatever mm-hmm. it is, and the difference between that and gospel, mm-hmm. the revolutionary thing that mm-hmm. Jesus and then his followers delivered to the world. Yeah. And he said, Marcus sent me this, he said, you know, religion is I obey, therefore I'm accepted, and mm-hmm. gospel is I'm accepted, therefore I obey. And that's something that's right. you and I have talked about yeah, many absolutely. times recently about, you know, the motivation for following Jesus is, is his grace. Yes. Is, you know, it, it doesn't matter how bad you are, mm-hmm. how bad you've been. Mm-hmm. Jesus wants you, mm-hmm. you know, Jesus, Jesus wants you to be part yeah. of his kingdom. Yeah. And the, the other thing that I thought as we were kind of discussing this, this concept of gospel and what it really is, is, you know, I've certainly heard the same thing you brought up about, you know, it's just the fact that Jesus died and was buried and was resurrected and, mm-hmm. Uh, I've often thought that that's, again, cheapening the scope of it. Again, Mm -hmm. not that that's, Mm -hmm. you know, not that Jesus dying and being buried and resurrected is cheap at all, but the fact that you don't include, like, the Sermon on the Mount, like, Mm -hmm. sometimes when I think about the gospel, that's actually what I think of first, is Jesus' revolutionary dissertation Mm -hmm. on, no, this is how it is. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, I I don't just want your, your, you know, I, I don't just want your rote following of my mm-hmm. commandments and things like that. I want your heart mm-hmm. and I want, and, you know, and, and just throughout that entire sermon on the Mount, you know, every it's as revolutionary now, mm-hmm. you know, even as somebody who's read it many times, like you read it again, it will, something else will jump out at you mm-hmm. um, because it's so rich and it's, it's, you know, I, I think like, like most things that are revolutionary, mm-hmm. they continue to be revolutionary. Yeah. There's no, putting it in canon and and it growing stale. I yeah. mean, it, it continues to challenge me. It yeah. continues to challenge all of us. And I think that that is, that is what keeps the gospel around today. Mm-hmm. That's what makes it still the good news today. There's, there's yeah. so many things you've said. Yeah. I, I, I just want to jump in there and, yeah. and, and reiterate some of the things you said. One is is just that that you just said about the 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 Sermon on the Mount and everything that Jesus taught, when we reduce the scope of the gospel to just the last few chapters... He's going to forgive my sin. Right, right, exactly. When we just reduce it to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, what, what do you think all of those first few chapters of each gospel account, we call those the gospel accounts right. because they are proclaiming the gospel, the yeah. good news. From the first chapter to the last chapter, it isn't like this is just an introduction to get you to the really important stuff at the very end, right. that Jesus died, was buried, and was resurrected. All of this is the proclamation of the good news of Jesus, and we have this tendency to say, oh yeah, well this is just all proving that he was a good person, or that he really was the Son of God, or that that he really didn't sin in his life so that mm. his sacrifice would 
would be effective in atoning for our sins. Nonsense. Yeah. This is this is us being introduced to the new king of the universe. Right. And we have to decide based on everything that the gospel says about Jesus and his kingship and his kingdom, whether or not we want to be a part of his kingdom and his kingship and submit to his rule and his reign based on, as you said, what he has done. And that's that, and I love the way that you, you said that about uh, about religion versus the gospel. I love the, I think it's Tim Keller who's, who always says that the gospel is not good advice, it's good news. Mm. It's not a set of instructions yeah. to say, here's what you do. It's, it's a proclamation about what has been done. Mm. This is what Jesus has done. The, the key is, do you believe this? Yeah. And, and that's, as you said, revolutionary to use our word around here, radical. Mm -hmm. It is radical. Do you believe that the kingdom of God is present? Do you believe that God has already begun to break into this world? N.T. Wright always speaks about breaking into, the new creation is breaking into. Mm -hmm. Do you believe that the new creation, that the kingdom of God is breaking into the world like like a small seed that's planted and going to grow into a great tree? Do you believe that the kingdom of God, like a a little bit of yeast, leaven hidden in the dough, is working its way through the whole lump? And and are you willing to participate in and be a part of? That's what it means to obey the gospel. It doesn't Mm -hmm. just mean get baptized so you can your sins can be forgiven. It means submit yourself to the kingship of Jesus. So if if we're going to give people a definition of gospel, it has to include the kingship, the lordship of Jesus, and the kingdom of God, and what that means for the past, the present, and the future. All mm-hmm. of this has to be wrapped up in our definition of gospel. Man, that's so good. Yeah, and I, I think in talking about this idea of evangelism, I, I, just as we've been talking here about gospel, like the importance of setting in your mind, it, it's just, it's really hitting me now, like of knowing what you're what you're following because you how can you help anybody else if you're just if you're just asking people to sign up for a religion mm-hmm. as a as an evangelist. Mm-hmm. It's like, well that's you know, yeah, you might get a few people. Mm-hmm. You know, you might you know, you might you might touch a few people who are looking for something. Mm-hmm. But the the sense that we get you know, in the book of Acts about the apostles as they go out and they preach the gospel mm-hmm. is you you know Sometimes people respond good, sometimes bad, but from them, from the apostles themselves, from the people preaching themselves, there's this sense of like just electricity that is shooting through them, Mm -hmm. you know, that that is emanating from the spirit that this is, like you said, radical. Mm -hmm. This is, this is not your run of the mill religion. Mm -hmm. This is not, you know, do all the right things, say all the right things and you'll be fine. You'll be accepted. It's like, this is, no, 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 you're already accepted mm-hmm. and God's got work for you to do. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. it's, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and, and to put it in terms that you brought up earlier, we, we're so consumeristic yeah. and we, we've, we've begun to present the gospel the way somebody tries to sell somebody a car. Right. And, and we say, well, here's this great deal for you. It's only nine ninety nine. you know, put, put your money down, you know, whatever it is. We, we are trying to sell them on something. Mm. The gospel evangelism is not about trying to sell people on something. It's about proclaiming something that's true. Mm. Like 
the the way news should work, we, we could argue about it, the way news does work, right. but the way news should work is I'm not trying to sell you on an idea. Right. I'm not trying to get you to sign up to something. I'm trying to tell you this is what has happened. Now, mm. is there a response to that? Absolutely, there's a response to that. There's right. an appropriate response and an inappropriate response to and that. And a non-response is a response. Absolutely. Yeah. If, if, if the news is... September 11th, the, the World Trade Center towers just came down, mm. and you laugh. That's an inappropriate response right. to what has happened. If someone proclaims Jesus is king of the cosmos, then what's the appropriate response to that? Humble submission and obedience. Right. That's the appropriate response to the gospel proclamation of what Jesus has done, what Jesus is doing, and what Jesus will do. It's not about, hey, here's these five steps, and, and let me get you to, to right. walk through these five steps with me, and then and then you get a brand new car, and you, or I mean, you get salvation. You know, we're, we, we're trying to sell people on something as if it's a product. Yeah. This isn't a product. It's a proclamation about what has been done in Jesus. So if that's what gospel is, then we'll, we'll talk in the next part about evangelist. So we want to take a quick break. Yeah. I just want to take a short break from our Bible study to tell you that if you are enjoying this discussion, you might also enjoy my book, Beyond the Verse. You can find the audio version of the book at radicallychristian.com slash audible. That's radicallychristian.com slash audible. And if you're not already an Audible subscriber, you can actually get my book for free when you sign up for a free trial. So go to radicallychristian.com slash audible. Now back to the Bible study. Okay, so if... If that's what gospel is, mm -hmm. if it is the good news about what Jesus has done, what Jesus is doing, and what Jesus will do, mm -hmm. if that's what the gospel is, then what is an evangelist? So if that's euangelion, what is euangelistase? What, yeah. is, what does it mean to proclaim that? Well, that, that's what it means. It means to, to, be, yeah, exactly, to be a, a herald. Yeah. So again, as we said before, if... If the euangelion of Caesar is that Caesar has become king, this new there's this new emperor, there's this new king. Go and tell the world that 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 the good and benevolent Caesar has taken the throne. Right. Then that's the person who heralds that news, who takes it into a city. Because again, obviously they didn't have TV news, they didn't have newspapers. Right. It would take months, maybe even years for news of a great victory or news of a new king to travel the world uh, and to be proclaimed. And so it would be written, it'd be inscribed on stone, it would be uh, proclaimed verbally. And so that's what the evangelists were doing. The apostles did the same. They went and proclaimed. Apostle means one who is sent. So their job right. was to go out, to be sent out by Jesus to testify to his resurrection and to his kingship. An evangelist, similarly, is one who goes and heralds the good news, yeah. a herald, a proclaimer of the good news, to make public proclamation about Jesus' victory, his triumph over sin and death. Um, so, as Jeff pointed out in his question, the word evangelist is only used three times in the New Testament. Again, euangelion is used a lot in different forms of euangelion or uh, to preach or proclaim the good news, but the noun evangelist, euangelites, um, is only used three times. Hmm. 
Uh, one is in Acts 21, verse 8. Philip is called an evangelist. If we go back to like Acts chapter 8, um, we see Philip proclaiming the good news in Samaria. He goes to the Samaritans and is proclaiming the, the good news. He uh, proclaims the good news to an Ethiopian man. Right, he we, shows up at the, uh, on the road. Right, exactly. So, so he, he proclaims uh, that good news to the Ethiopian. And in all of those examples, Philip is being an evangelist to lost people and and he's traveling. Mm-hmm. And this may be where we get the idea that an evangelist, and this is historically the way it's often been used, that an evangelist works with lost people. Mm-hmm. So his job is to proclaim the good news to lost people or and or to travel, to be a traveling preacher, right. a traveling proclaimer. I think it's probably because Philip is called an evangelist that we attach those very limited roles and jobs to right. evangelist. And often, I, I often see it in uh, church budgets as well, or church uh, breakdowns of how, how are we spending our money, or what's the work of this congregation, and we'll have a category of spending as evangelism. And what we mean by that is, this is to reach lost people. Right. This is to, you know, wh- however we're going to do that. We're going to send literature to their home, we're going to do door knocking, we're going to have a campaign, we're going to do a gospel meeting, whatever it is that we're going to do to reach lost people, that is our category of evangelism. Yeah. And again, I, I see that, I understand that, and that's certainly a part of evangelism, but I don't think that evangelism or being an evangelist is limited to only proclaiming the good news to lost people. And I say that because of the other two uses of the word evangelist in the New Testament. One is in second, the second one is in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, or I guess chronologically this would be the third use of the word. But 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, Paul tells Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. He says uh, in verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So he tells him to do the work of an evangelist. Now, most of what Timothy is told in both 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy about his ministry, his work, his work as an evangelist Mm -hmm. is working with the church. It's working with saved people. It's working with Christians. There's very little about teaching lost people. Now, I'm sure Timothy taught lost people, but most of what Paul says to Timothy in both letters is about working with saved people. It's Mm -hmm. about working with Christian people, with disciples. And even this context right here, saying, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. The time is coming when people won't endure sound teaching. I I think he's talking about Christians not enduring sound teaching. Mm. There have always been people that are unbelievers that don't endure sound teaching. Paul put up with that his entire ministry. He's talking about there's going to be time when Christians accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And so when Paul talks about being an evangelist, 
he's not necessarily limiting that to work outside the church. He's mm-hmm. also talking about work inside the church. And and here, and in the, the other use of the word, which is in Ephesians 4 that we'll get to in a minute, in both cases that Paul uses the word evangelist, it seems that he is specifically talking about work inside the church. So it's kind of a misnomer when we categorize evangelism as being our work outside of the church and encouragement or edification as our work inside the church. Our work with all people should be evangelism, that we should be proclaiming the good news of what Jesus has done, what Jesus is doing, and what Jesus will do to everybody. I need to be evangelized to. I need reminders, Wes, your behavior is not in keeping with the good news of Jesus. When I get out of line, he says that the work of an evangelist is to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. That's the work of an evangelist. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. It's about teaching with patience, but it's about reproving and rebuking sometimes. Mm -hmm. I think a great example of that sort of evangelistic reproof Hey, there's a new new term, maybe. Evangelistic reproof or evangelistic rebuke yeah. might be found in Galatians 2, when Paul is he's recounting the, the story of how he opposed Peter in Antioch. Peter came to Antioch, and he's kind of checking out what was going on in this multi-ethnic church, and, and he was, oh, this is all great, and eating with the Gentiles, and everything was good, and then some, Jew, some Jewish Christians show up from Jerusalem in in Antioch, and all of a sudden Peter is persuaded to not associate with his Gentile brothers and sisters, and he's not eating with them. And Paul says, here's what happened. He says, when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. That part really breaks my heart, that Barnabas was led astray in that debacle. Anyway, verse 14, he says, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, then I said to him, and then he, and then he rebukes him. So this is evangelistic rebuke, evangelistic reproof saying this behavior is not in harmony with the good news of Jesus's reign. And and that's what evangelists do in addition to saying Jesus reigns. We we also spell out what does that mean? What are the implications? What are the applications of the reign of King Jesus? So again, we said, if the news reports the Twin Towers have fallen, what's the appropriate response as a hearer, as a listener of some news event, something has transpired, something has taken place. Uh, During the the COVID pandemic, uh, we ran out of toilet paper. And as they were saying, there's a shortage on toilet paper. The appropriate response was, if you don't have any, you better go get some if you can. You know, so so as the news unfolds, sometimes, sometimes it's very apparent what should be my response to this news? Right. Sometimes it's very clear. Other times it's not so clear. What, what does this mean? How do I respond to this news? What's changed? And you pointed out the, 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 the Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. Jesus tells his hearers, 
This is what it looks like to respond to the good news of the kingdom of God. Everything is about to change. Everything is about to be turned upside down. Here's how you respond. When your enemy slaps you, you turn, let him slap the other cheek. When he asks you, forces you to go a mile, you go with him too. He spells out, this is what it looks like to live under the rule and the reign of King Jesus. And so that's what an evangelist does, is to spell out, this is the truth, Jesus reigns, and here's how we respond to that. Here's the appropriate response to the reign of King Jesus. Well, and I'm going to steal one of your things here okay. that you talk about. No stealing. <laughs> well, I'm crediting <laughs> oh, you. Oh, okay, so. okay. And it's your podcast. So. <laughs> um, no, but one of the things you talk about, I just, you know, and you, you already alluded to it just now, but the, there's the good news about Jesus, you know, that, that Paul mentions, the, the truth of the gospel is already and it's not yet, yes, right? Yeah, you, and that's not even mine. See, you stole something that I stole from somebody else. Well, so we just, just perpetuate the stealing. But I, but I really, I, I, I like that because it's a good reminder that I think sometimes we see truths. I mean, mm-hmm. Sermon of the Mount is a great example. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a truth that is just, that's, this is about reality. This mm-hmm. is about the, this is about how things are mm-hmm. in this fallen world. Mm-hmm. But then sometimes it's a truth that, this is what Jesus is bringing. Mm-hmm. This is what Jesus is going to do mm-hmm. already, and not yet. You know, mm-hmm. there, and and you, but you need to behave yes. as if it's already happened. That's right. Yes. And I, and you talk about something that uh, is, is such a challenge. And that was one of the things that um, you know I mentioned talking to Marcus. One of the things that got us into talking about religion versus gospel mm-hmm. was talking about you know the urge that I think a lot of people, a lot of you know. And I, I'm, I've felt this way. I wonder if you've ever felt this way, you know, way, way back when or something that, you know, to be spiritual but not religious mm-hmm. because religious feels like, well, I'm tied down to something. Mm-hmm. I have to, you know, I have to be a part of this group. I have to, and I, and I, I understand that, that urge that people have. Um, but I think as we're talking, one of the things that, that I'm reminded of is the greatest benefit of church, and I've experienced this recently is you come together and you talk about Jesus and you yeah. talk about the truth of the gospel. And then a lot of, the, in fact, I would say most of the time, it's not a direct like pricking of my heart, mm-hmm. like on a specific matter. Mm-hmm. It's just the fact that we come together, we talk about the gospel. Mm-hmm. And then I start thinking, you know, I wasn't, that thing I, you know, that I, w- I was kind of in a mood the other day and I, I, mm-hmm. I wasn't behaving like mm-hmm. somebody who is, keeping in step with the truth of the gospel. You right. know, and it's exactly like what, what Paul is calling out mm-hmm. Peter for. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, and, and it's interesting to me that you, that we bring up, you know, this, uh, the idea that we're, we're evangelists by coming together as Christians, mm-hmm. by keeping each other in line. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not always in, you know, uh, the, the, some of what happened with Peter. It, it, I, I get the sense that it was a public Mm-hmm. There was there was a public rebuke right, there, right. so maybe it's not always like that. Maybe yeah. sometimes it is, yeah. um, but just it, there's a rebuke just in talking about the gospel. Yeah, yeah. What ways are my li- What ways am I not living up to that truth in my mm-hmm. life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you hit on so many great things there. One is that part of the response to the gospel is unity, mm. because. That is a key element of the kingdom of God, is right. that God is bringing together—this is why things like like racism or um, ethnic 
divide is so counter. This is what Paul is dealing with in Galatians 2, is this ethnic divide between Jews and Gentiles. This is why this is contrary to the gospel, because the gospel is all about bringing people together in unity and in harmony, reconciliation between God and human beings. And so you can't live out that truth of the new reality in Christ, mm. you can't live that out as a solo Christian. You can't live no. that out individually. We we like spirituality because right. we think I should be able to have a relationship that's one-on-one with God. Well, there, the gospel doesn't give room for a one-on-one relationship with God because God is, even in his own nature, three. <laughs> and and even, yeah. even God himself is triune. Right. And then the church is reconciled to God as a body, as the body of Jesus, not as individuals, but together collectively. So how do we live in response to this unified reality right. that, that is, as you said, already and not yet? Well, we have to do it within the community of the church. It can't be done otherwise. And and so we need constant reminders and proclamations, both on a on a sort of organic level, on mm-hmm. a brother to brother level to yeah. say, hey brother, th- this is not or this is not. And sometimes as you said, just the the light of our life exposes the darkness mm-hmm. when we're stepping out of the light. It brings that to it exposes that and it calls us to step back into the light. Right. And so we do that one on one. But then there's also, I think, a place for a, an office a role, Mm -hmm. somebody to step into. And this is where I I get goosebumps, literally, to think about myself, because this is the life to which I believe God has called me, Mm -hmm. and the church, the shepherds have allowed me to hold the role or the office of evangelist, which means my duty or responsibility is to stand before the congregation and remind them and to teach them this is what the gospel is, and these are the implications and the applications of this gospel truth to turn their eyes back to Jesus on a weekly basis, but then also on a daily basis, where I'm helping Jesus, which is even... That sentence is hard to wrap my mind around. I'm working and participating, co-working with Jesus to play this role, to do this job of calling people back to him and back to submission to him. And so when Paul uses this this word, the, the instance we haven't talked about yet is Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. It says that Jesus gave as a gift the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes." So he says, Jesus gifted the church with apostles, and Jesus gifted the church with prophets, Mm -hmm. and Jesus gifted the church with evangelists, and Jesus gifted the church with the shepherds and teachers. And so just as shepherds and teachers have a role and a responsibility and even an office to, to do their job, 
the evangelist has a role to proclaim the good news of Jesus and to call people to live in submission and in response to that good news. And so that's why I see especially the Sunday morning assembly. And again, nothing in these texts necessarily ties evangelist to what we do in the Sunday assembly. So this is just Wes talking. Mm -hmm. Here's what I think. I think the Sunday assembly, when we're breaking the bread and sharing the cup, that this is the perfect opportunity for a public proclamation of the gospel. And that's why it's very hard for me to... That's another reason I don't particularly like to preach topical sermons or to talk about current events or whatever, other than to tie what's going on in our world to the kingship and lordship of Jesus. But if it doesn't come back to Jesus' kingship, if it doesn't come back to here's what Jesus has done, what Jesus is doing, and what Jesus will do, then it's not really euangelion, gospel preaching. We call people, that's a gospel preacher. He's a gospel preacher. Whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Just because somebody's talking about living a good moral life and following the rules doesn't necessarily mean that they're proclaiming the good news of Jesus' reign. Like, that's what we have to do. That's what it is to do the work of an evangelist, to proclaim it, to say this is true, but then also to call people to account and say, hey, this is not in step with the gospel. This way that people are doing, and you see this going on over there or going on over here, we can't participate in that because we we believe that Jesus reigns as king and that Jesus is coming and that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. And so it's this constant reminding and teaching and proclaiming of the good news that makes someone an evangelist. Mm-hmm. And and Jeff asked an interesting question. I don't know whether to get into this or not, but he says, what's the dynamic slash authority between the evangelist and the shepherds? Um, that's an interesting and, and wonderful mm-hmm. question. And, and Christians have struggled with this for a long time. You've got the shepherds of a congregation. So in Ephesus, you had the shepherds of the congregation, but then you also had Timothy, who was working as the evangelist within that community, within that church family. And so he's the evangelist, and they're the shepherds. <laughs> and and in in First Timothy, he tells Timothy about how to go about appointing the shepherds. Right. And so some churches and some traditions sort of put the evangelist above the shepherds. And other traditions say, no, 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 it should be the shepherds that are shepherding not only the flock, but also the evangelist himself. Yeah. Um, I, I think that there, that there has to be, I, I don't, I, I tend to steer away from hierarchies like that. I think it has to be a, a, it has to be a matter of differing roles. I yeah. like to think about it the way that the, the prophets and the kings worked together in the Old Testament. The king needed the prophet to speak God's truth into his life. And then the king made decisions based on his own wisdom and and insight, but also from the prophet saying, hey, here's what the word of the Lord says. But the prophet wasn't the boss of the king. He wasn't in charge of the king. He had to submit to the king's rule and the king's authority. So the, the prophet wasn't the boss of the king. The king was, in a sense, the boss of the prophet, but the prophet still had a responsibility to speak truth to power and to say to the king, you're wrong and this needs to change. Nathan's a good example of being very strategic in how he told the king, you're the man, you've done Mm. wrong here. So I think that, that evangelists 
have a responsibility to speak the truth to the shepherds, yeah. to speak the gospel, the euangelion, the good news of Jesus to the to the shepherds. If Paul, who considered himself the least apostle, had the responsibility to do evangelistic rebuke to Peter, right. who was sort of the spokesperson so, of the yeah, apostles. The original. Right, exactly, the OG apostle. Mm-hmm. Then if that was the case, then evangelists today, I believe, need to speak the gospel truth even to the shepherds at times. Right. Now, that doesn't mean the evangelist is in charge of the shepherds no. or that he's their boss or they answer to him. But it does mean that not based on his own wisdom or insight or discernment, but based on the good news of Jesus, evangelists have a responsibility to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all complete patience and teaching. That, that's the job, the role of an evangelist, is to proclaim the good news. And that means telling people, as you said earlier, they're accepted in Christ Jesus and reassuring them of that good news, but also rebuking people when they right. step out of the light and into the darkness and calling them back into the light. And so all of these things are wrapped up in the role of an evangelist. And I, I do think that the the modern role of, of a preacher is and should be an evangelist. And I, I think I think those two ideas can go together well if done correctly. Mm-hmm. I don't think that everything we tend to think of a, that a quote-unquote preacher should do, I don't think that's necessarily evangelism. But I think when done right, when it's when the preacher is proclaiming and teaching the good news of Jesus, whether that's in, in just teaching and saying this is what's true, or also in in rebuke and and admonishment, warning, all of this is wrapped up in what an evangelist should do. We shouldn't we shouldn't limit evangelism to just reaching the lost. Right. It's also about teaching and rebuking even the saved. Because as you know, as we know, keeping the the saved. Yes. Keeping the saved saved. That's a full, yeah. Keeping the saved saved. That's a full-time job. I mean, that's, that's, and and, you know, throughout this conversation, I keep thinking about the importance and that evangelistic idea of the light, just having a, a, the the benefit of having a weekly or Mm bi-weekly check-in with Mm -hmm. the light. Yes. Yes. And, and that, that in and of itself, even outside of a, of an actual rebuke that may happen like you said organically yeah. the light being present yes. is a rebuke to darkness yes. in my life and in everybody's life yeah and and I think I, I also keep thinking about this idea of you know you, you mentioned the idea of the evangelist being somebody who is the herald he, he's mm-hmm. making he's making the way for the king and mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I can't help but think about John the Baptist right. thinking right. about that and yes. how John the Baptist preceded Jesus's first coming yes and we mm. proceed his second coming. That's good. That's you know? good. That's exactly right. Ah, I think that's a great. I think that's a great parallel. I don't know that John's ever referred to as an evangelist, but he certainly was preaching the good news of the Messiah's coming and right. preparing people for. And so that's exactly what he was doing. He was heralding the good news, and and that's what we have to busy ourselves with. Mm. And so often in the church, preachers, ministers can get caught up in so many other things that are good works that might actually be better suited for the shepherds to be doing in Mm. shepherding the church, shepherding the flock. And the evangelist has to devote himself to teaching, to the proclamation of the good news. And this, 
and it doesn't get any easier over time. We, we tend to think that, oh, well, you know, preach the gospel to the lost people, then they become saved, and then go find some more lost people. It's like, well, wait, hold on. As and, if that's a step-by-step process. Right, exactly. Yeah, as if they all come in at the same time, and they're <laughs> right. all at the same level. And then yeah. not only that, but as culture continues to shift and change, we have to find new ways to explain, even just language-wise, we have to explain the, the euangelion in English, and not only in English, but in 21st century English, mm-hmm. and have to help people to understand, what does this mean? What does this mean? It's one thing to say, this is true, but what does this mean? What does this mean for the world? What does this mean for the future? What does this mean? How does this pertain to the things I'm afraid of, the, the threats I see on the global horizon? What does this mean for these things? But then what does it mean for my life? What does it mean for my relationship with this person or my relationship with that person? Evangelists have to spend their entire waking lives devoting themselves to figuring out how do I connect this great truth with where people are in their lives so that they see Jesus for who he is and the revolutionary life to which he's calling them. That is a full-time job. We don't just need one evangelist in some congregations. We need multiple evangelists in congregations who can see different aspects of of the truth and also of people's lives to help connect those things. And then I'll say, too, that I always say, as, as an evangelist, as one of the evangelists in this congregation, as one evangelist in the world, as somebody who gets up and proclaims the good news on Sunday morning, I have to go home and preach the gospel to myself every Sunday, especially on Sunday. I often say that it feels like the gospel chariot ran right over me uh, when I'm done. And I'm exhausted, and I'm discouraged. I'm questioning myself. And then I have to remind myself, it's not about you, Wes. It's not about you. It's never been about the evangelist. It's been about the euangelion. It's been about the gospel. It's been about Jesus. And when we make it about the evangelist, we're making it about the wrong person. And I have to remind myself of that, that I get home and I kick myself for every wrong thing I said and the wrong way I said it, and I stumbled over this, or I forgot this, or I mispronounced that. And I have to remind myself, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. And if Jesus has been proclaimed, then you've done evangelism. Thank you so much for being part of the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast today. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I want to give a special thanks to Travis Pauly and to our McDermott Road Church family for making this podcast possible. As always, we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day.